Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to episode five of season three of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I am your host, Kevin Brown. Today's episode covers the last track from side one of Damn the Torpedoes, Century City. If you want to listen to the song before we get started, I don't embed the songs in the episode itself due to licensing issues, so there's a link in the episode notes for you to check it out ahead of listening to me ramble on about it. I wanted to give you a quick heads up too that I have a surprise bonus episode coming out this Saturday for you, which marks a birthday for a musician I'm a huge admirer of. I also wanted to give a quick shout out at the top to musician, podcaster, season one guest and all-round top-notch guy Dallas Helliker on the news of his engagement to Heather Ann Barnes. I couldn't be happier for both of you. Let's get into it. Century City was another song from the album that was developed more or less in the studio, with the title coming from the part of it, Los Angeles that Tom was dealing with um, during his uh, bankruptcy filings, so dealing with lawyers and lawsuits, etc. You know, unhappy with the terms of his contract with Shelter Records, Tom had seized on the sale of Shelter by ABC to MCA as justification to declare himself, in effect, a free agent. In his own words, he would not be bought and sold like a piece of meat. Tom refused to allow the Heartbreakers' next album to be released, even going so far as to bear the cost of recording it personally, leaving him somewhere close to a half a million dollars in debt. And this was when he filed for bankruptcy, hoping to gain leverage uh, in the brewing legal dispute by having the bankruptcy court declare null and void an extremely unfavourable contract that he felt he'd been duped into signing. Ultimately, MCA did blink, agreeing to release Tom from his existing contract, but immediately re-signing him to a $3 million contract with a brand new subsidiary label created especially for this purpose. The album that Petty had held back was, of course, Damn the Torpedoes. In conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo, During my lawsuit phase, when I was being sued, I had to go to Century City often. And if you've never seen it, it's kind of an acre of skyscrapers, a really modern-looking place. He also mentions that the initial idea for the song was written on a piano that came with the house that he was renting at the time, on which he'd also written, You're Gonna Get It, among other tracks. So Century City definitely has a very personal link to the things that Tom and the band were going through at the time, and has a hard edge to it that becomes more relatable given the context of what the band was actually plotting. Century City starts with some synth sounds and drum hits that sound, to me, deliberately like an old Atari video game, you know, like the original Space Invaders or Asteroids or something like that, which would have been really new back then. So it's a neat tie into the concept of modernity um, that you get during the chorus. The guitars are again panned into the left and right channels, with the lead sitting a little more centrally. Some really cool bends are a feature of that lead line that repeats throughout the verses, and the rhythm is really putting down a beautifully distorted 20-bar blues pattern around A, D, and D. Literally a three-chord major key rock and roller. There's plenty of lead in this one too, with that great lick between the verses, and then the guitar solo is Mike Campbell channeling Chuck Berry in his absolute purest form before throwing in some great little first-fifth two-note licks around the 211 mark, which split the solo into two halves of those you know, Berry bends. So go back and sort of listen to the song from about 211, because you'll get those wonderful little um, the, the little pieces that almost sound like a mid-era Angus Young from ACDC, because it's got that really sort of harmonic feel. At almost 40 seconds, it's one of Mike's longest guitar solos on any studio album. I'll have to revisit this once I'm further through the podcast, but I can't really think of any solos that are longer than this one off the top of my head. And the song has a really full, thick wall of guitar sound, and I think the piano is dropped lower in the mix to allow that sound to really push the song along at a breakneck 150 beats per minute. 
Stan is pounding his way through this one. You know, and Stan is often thought of as a power drummer, but it's easy to forget that he was capable of very subtle, nuanced playing. There's no real place for that on this song, however. It's four to the floor on the kick, all the way through, other than the offbeat lead into Honey Century City got everything covered, um, and in a couple of other places during the lead out. It sounds like he's playing very precise 16s on the hats. That's really fast, and it's almost throughout. Um, and playing those notes that fast, that consistently requires a really deft hand. And again, as I said, Stan definitely had that in his arsenal to be able to play with a, a lot of precision. The crash cymbal um, is mixed fairly quiet on the track too, other than the lead out where the, they, they crash much harder to build into that ending. And again, I think this is done deliberately to keep the guitar and the vocal as the focal points of the entire track. The fills that Stan does put in tend to be short and sweet, um, very much sort of straight time. And when the song was played live, he would often put in extra kicks on the one and two or three and four in the bar. So it's a really energetic drum part that's played straight as an arrow with only a few offbeat bars here and there to give a little more space and a little more spotlight on the vocal than those certain spots. As on Shadow of a Doubt, Ron Blair is flying around the fretboard and putting in big slides and runs up the scale, as well as playing those trademark rock and roll octave apart root notes. He's playing sort of double time most of the way through and keeping that bottom end just flying along. And if you watch the rock band video game version of this song, which is taken from a live cut, you get a real visual sense of what Ron is doing. I'll throw that into the episode notes as it's, it's quite striking and you will notice um, how, exactly how much he's playing. My favourite part of the bass line is during the guitar solo at the 220 mark, where he walks up the scale in straight time before putting in a great little bubbly lift up to G to give that D chord a great suspended feel. Matching the pace and frenzy of Ron's bass line is the little Richard-esque piano part that Ben Mont lays down, which is pushed down lower in the mix, but brought back up again at times to take the place of the vocal, which is a case of Jimmy Iovine again really creating the right amount of space for the vocal and the blaze of guitars that we're getting in this song. Uh, we hear more of the piano in the solo, complementing Mike's ripping lines, and again in the build-out uh, to the ending. Alrighty, it's time, as usual, once again, for some petty trivia. Last week, I asked you which composer who provided the scores for Die Hard, Highlander, Lethal Weapon, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, provided the orchestral arrangements on 1994's Wildflowers. The answer is Michael Kamen. A big shout out to Pete Nestor, my friend from the Honest and Unmerciful podcast, for actually on social media, predicting the question I was going to ask, which was, how is this week's answer connected to last week's answer? Now, the answer to that would have been that Michael Kamen also provided the orchestral arrangements for The Wall. His work generally was varied and prodigious, and he worked with other bands such as Metallica, David Bowie, Sting, Jim Croce, and the Eurythmics, as well as providing the scores for some of the best-known movies of the 80s and 90s. Kamen was uh, unfortunately diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1997 and very sadly passed away in London, England, from a heart attack on November 18th, 2003, at the much-too-young age of 55. Your question for this week is a real softball for all you pettyheads, and it's this. What was the original title of Mary Jane's Last Dance? Okay, back to the song. 
Tom really howls his way through this song, uh, putting that rasp into his intonation to emphasise those staccato lines of the chorus, but he still has that velvety smooth quality on certain lines, like Mama Held You Near, before really leaning into that Dylan-esque vocal bend on Mama Just Ain't Here. Um, And during the second verse, we get some quiet harmonies added in to give the vocal a fuller quality. The chorus has those harmonies brought up a little, and we get the fabulous call and response section before that big scream into the solo. We get more subtle harmony in the last verse and a wonderful push on that last got everything covered. The outro is just that repeated call and response, we're going to live in Century City um, over the top of the root chord. The ending of the song, though, I think, is a cheeky little nod to Suffragette City by David Bowie, which has that same chugging lift into the E chord before ending abruptly. Bowie uses it toward the end of that song uh, to lead into a vocal break and then again to finish. So I think Tom may have been paying homage to the sibilant syllabic similarity, excuse the deliberate alliteration, um, between Suffragette City and Century City in the way that rock and roll often does. It's even in the same key. The lyrics for Century City are abstract enough to have multiple meanings and the whole vibe is one of hustle and bustle of life in a big city, with the basic message being that no matter what happens, Century City's got your back. The real Century City, um, originally built out from the back lot of uh, 20th Century Studios on the west side of LA, um, was a very modern, very fast-paced and urban environment, which matches both the pace of the song and the disposable view that the protagonist has of living there. The lawsuits and legal battles definitely raise their head in the third verse with the lines, sometimes I get discouraged, sometimes I feel so down, sometimes I get so worried, but I don't know what about. But we get those satirically hopeful lines after that. Don't worry about the problem, honey. Century City's got everything covered. There are also references to a partner in the song. Not explicitly romantic, but they're more of a framework to hang Tom's observations around than a narrative component with other characters involved. So to me, it's definitely Tom writing about the superficial nature of that part of town and the exhausting pace of its industry and its core demographic. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Century City has been one of my favourite deep cuts from the early albums since the first time I heard it. It's just a pure, fun rock and roller. It doesn't try to be bigger than its boots, and it delivers exactly what it intends to do. A breathless three and a half minutes to close side one of an album and make you race to the record player to flip the disc and listen to side two. It's a really straightforward song musically, other than some of Ron's killer bass work, so I can't rank it as highly as the very best songs on the album, but I do have a huge soft spot for it, so I'm going to give it... An 8 out of 10. Um, Again, before I wrap things up, just a reminder that you can support humanitarian efforts in the Ukraine uh, in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have have the means. Um, I'll keep, again, I'll keep adding a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes for the foreseeable future. Um, And I know that the situation in Ukraine is deeply troubling for all of us and has potential ramifications beyond just that part of the world. Um, And I found myself feeling quite a bit of anxiety over this for the last three weeks, but... I read a good piece of advice early this week, and I I wanted to share this with you. Uh, The suggestion from the psychologist uh, whose piece I was reading uh, said one thing that they've found helps and one thing that they recommend to people is only check the news once a day and don't overwhelm yourself with, you know, the images and the worry. So like I said, I just wanted to share that with you as I found it does actually help. um, And it just helps distracting yourself by listening to podcasts or making podcasts um, or sharing time with your family and listening to music. So do all of those things, um, but do keep in mind that you can help those efforts if you have a few bucks that you can send to the Red Cross. 
Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can always find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe as applicable, and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't done that already. Um, it does help, and it helps me sort of get the word out there. As always, I appreciate the feedback um, and the reviews you send me and the interactions we have on social media. Um, I always try to answer every comment you send to me, so let's keep that conversation going. Um, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first to try to find what you're looking for, and go to tompetty.com for official merchandise. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member of those groups. They are well worth your time. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week when I'll be letting you in on a conversation I had with the very lovely and extremely cool Paul Zolo. Uh, don't forget to listen out for that special bonus episode this Saturday, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>